0: If you've got your bibles this morning i want to invite you to go to the old testament book of zephaniah zephaniah and uh, i'll bet you most of you have never heard a sermon preached on zephaniah and normally i tell you how to find zephaniah and uh, this morning i'm not because we'd be here an hour Uh, just go to the table of contents um, because it is It is not easy to find, and if you just start flipping through your Bibles and you land on Zephaniah, you ought to buy some lottery tickets today because uh, it is not an easy book to find. Um, Most people have not uh, read uh, or heard of the book of Zephaniah. Sometimes it gets uh, confused with Zechariah, uh, who was another Old Testament prophet, but this is not Zechariah. This is Zephaniah, And, and you probably haven't heard a sermon preached on Zephaniah for a couple reasons. One is it's really short, uh, but also uh, this is a an Old Testament book of judgment and doom. Uh, this is uh, an Old Testament prophet uh, who could uh, preach uh, hellfire and damn and damnation uh if you've ever heard one of those uh sermons before so i thought we would spend some time in zephaniah this morning to get us all in the christmas spirit right <laughs> so if you're looking for a good uh, sermon of doom and gloom you've come to the right place this morning and we're going to spend some time in zephaniah uh all right did i give you enough time to get there some of you are still in the table of contents. All right, we'll get, we'll get there in just a minute, uh, but let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for this new day. We thank you, God, for this season. We thank you, God, for the gathering of your people. We thank you, Lord, uh, that you come and meet us in all seasons. And Lord, we even thank you uh, for uh, this prophet Zephaniah who spoke your word uh, to your people so long ago in a word, God, that we need to hear again and be reminded um, of all that uh, you are up to in our lives and in the world. God, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable. For you are indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Waiting for Christmas. Waiting for Christmas means that we are waiting for Jesus to show up in those dark places in our lives. Waiting for Christmas means that we are waiting for Jesus to come and bring healing in the midst of sickness. Waiting for Jesus means that we're waiting for Jesus to show up and come and restore those things that are broken in our lives. And over the past few weeks, we've been talking about this idea of what does it mean to be waiting for Jesus. The world's been waiting and preparing and planning for Christmas, right? And for thousands of years, God's people have also been planning and preparing for Jesus to come, the Messiah, to come and to bring rescue. And I would imagine there are a number of you here today who are waiting for Christmas, not in... For it to the the calendar to turn to Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, but you are waiting for Christmas in the sense that you are waiting for Jesus to show up in your life, because things are not the way you thought they were going to be. And for many people, especially around Christmas time, though, we're very aware of the broken relationships in our lives. And some of you are going through a season where there is a broken, a strained relationship. And it's not necessarily getting worse, but it's also not necessarily getting better. You're kind of in this holding pattern. You're kind of treading water. And you're waiting and waiting and waiting for Jesus to come and restore that broken relationship. Or maybe... Maybe you're waiting for Jesus in one of your kids' lives, right? Because maybe when your your, your child was a freshman in high school, you looked them in the eye and said, hey, your grades really matter. And they're like, well, yeah, whatever. And now all of a sudden it's senior year and they're like, oh, my grades really matter. (laughs) And all of a sudden there's consequences and they're trying to figure out now what do I do? Now, what do I do with my life? Or maybe um, you've come through a a season of of college, and it's all good, and, and you've all of a sudden discovered, I'm not going to law school. I thought I was going to law school, and law school is no longer happening ever. That door is closed. And you're thinking, now what do I do? Now how do I navigate this next season? Or maybe you've been in a career path and and you've always thought, well, this is going to be the trajectory of my career. But then all of a sudden something happened and you're not sure what career path you're on now. And you're waiting and you're holding and you're waiting and you're holding and you're waiting for Jesus. You are waiting for Christmas to show up in your life. So many of us go through these seasons of waiting and wondering, Jesus, just show up. I need you right here, right now. Or maybe you're in a season uh, waiting for Jesus to show up in your finances. Because when you were younger, you had a financial picture of what your retirement years were going to look like. Or maybe your your mid-career years were going to look like. And then you open your bank statement. You're like, oh. This is not what I planned. This is not what I had hoped for my finances. And you're praying and inviting Jesus to show up and do something with your finances. And you're not sure how to get out of the hole that you find yourself in financially. And you're waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And we live in interesting times, don't we? Because it's so easy to compare our lives to other people oftentimes we hear other people's stories and and they don't mean to kind of just shove it in their face um, but sometimes you even come to church and and the christians will, you know they're they're trying to you know share with you a little bit about what's going on in their life and you're sharing with them a little bit what's going on in your life and, and and maybe somebody will say something like oh god answered a prayer for me the other day and you're like really tell me about it oh i lost my keys you're like what that's your biggest problem is you lost your keys Yeah, I I lost my keys and I called my husband and and he came home from work early. I just love my husband. You're like, oh, puke. My husband doesn't come home (laughs) from work early, right? And he came at the door and he's opening the door and I heard my keys jingle and there they were right in the door, right? Oh, praise Jesus, my keys are found. And you're just like, I hate you, (laughs) right? Right? You have no idea what a real problem is. If lost keys are, are you know, something that you're praying about, let me tell you about my problems, right? And some of you would love to be able to come up here and grab the microphone and say, let me tell you about a, what a real problem I, there is in life. Let me tell you about what I'm really waiting for. Let me tell you about what it means to go through a season of heartache and struggle that's the day and time we live in. And then you turn on your computer and you see all the postings of you know, all the accomplishments of your friends' kids, right? And they don't mean to just rub it in your face, but you look at that and you think to yourself, that was supposed to be my kid. Now, no, my kids don't do that. You know where they post pictures of all the neat places they're on vacation, and you're looking in your bank account going, I'm never going there. It's like, ah. We just compare ourselves over and over to all that what everybody else is doing in the world. And we think, here I am, I'm stuck. I'm stuck in this holding pattern. And I'm waiting for Christmas. I'm waiting for Jesus to show up and do something in my life. And so this morning, uh, we're going to continue through this series of what does it mean to be waiting waiting for jesus to show up and i'm just going to be honest i'll bet you most of you you're not terribly excited to to hear a preacher share some story with you this morning about how there was this big problem in the beginning god showed up and at the end of the story everybody was really happy all the people were healed right everybody went to heaven everybody was happy i mean even coming to church sometimes we hear stories and we're just like that's not my story I'm not at the end. I'm not healed. I'm still struggling. We just want to know if God knows about our problems. If God even cares about our problems, right? Because we're waiting. And we're waiting. And we're waiting. And we're waiting. Now, if you're a Jesus follower, I've got some good news for you this morning. Waiting for God to show up and rescue God's people is the theme song of the entire Bible. Old Testament and New Testament, God's people over and over, that's what they did. They just waited and waited for God to show up and they (laughs) cried out to God and said, God, I'm miserable. God, I need you to show up and help me. And the people who actually wrote scripture from Genesis through Revelation, Old Testament and New Testament, these were people that understood pain and suffering acutely. We could go through and look at every single one of their lives, and we could look at the the struggles, the hardships that they went through, and we could look at all those things and be like, yeah, I guess I don't have any problems. Maybe I just lost my keys, right? These were people who understood what it meant to suffer. Their lives were a a never-ending stream of suffering and pain and hardship. And yet they still believed in God, and yet they still trusted in Jesus. This is not a book about a bunch of people who wrote um, sitting at the beach in a cabana overlooking the ocean, writing about what we should do. These were not people in the mountains at some chalet, you know, just penning some poetic words. These were people who were in the hardships of life, and they struggled. So you ought to hear that as good news this morning. God's people struggled throughout all generations. You know, and, and, and really the story of scripture, before we get to Zephaniah here, let me just give you a little context. When God created the world, there was no suffering, there was no pain, there was no struggle. It was good, it was wonderfully good. But when sin came into the world, it made a division between God and God's people sin crept into every fiber of all of creation and turned everything upside down and everything went sideways and everything went backwards and everything fell apart and the relationship between God and God's people was severed. And so God came to God's people over and over and over and said, come on back. Come on back, because people had turned their backs on God. They said, no, I'm going to live my life for me. I'm going to do what I feel um, feels good for me. I'm going to look to myself, and I'm going to look to the culture for my cues and how I'm going to live my life. And God said, no, I want you to look up to me. And that's how we have this relationship together. And so God used these prophets over and over throughout the Old Testament saying, Come on back. Repent. Repent just means turn around. Come back. Let's restore this relationship. And throughout the Old Testament times, God's people um, would turn back on occasion. But very quickly, they would turn back around and follow their own ways or the ways of the culture. And so God continued to cry out. And because of sin, there were consequences in this broken relationship. There's always consequences when we turn from God and a broken relationship occurs. And so God uses these prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Micah to say, come back. I love you. And God just pursues his people over and over and over. And yet God's people continue to walk away. And so God allowed the consequences to happen. God allowed the separation because he created us with free will right he didn't just make us like puppets to do whatever he wanted he said you can do whatever you want but by the way if you choose to do whatever you want there will be consequences and God allowed all these consequences in the lives of God's people and sometimes God even allowed invading armies to overrun the nation of Israel. And God continued to send prophets saying, come on back. It's going to get really bad if you don't come back. Let's restore this relationship. And then at the 11th hour, God sent another, yet another prophet after he sent so many other prophets, the prophet Zephaniah. He's, he's getting ready to throw a Hail Mary and not in like a Catholic sense Hail Mary, right? This is like a football Hail Mary. This is the last chance. For God's people to turn back. And he uses this prophet Zephaniah to speak words of what's going to happen very soon as the Assyrian army is bearing down on Jerusalem. Before we get up on the screen, let me just set up Zephaniah 1, 2, and 3. You don't want to hear Zephaniah 1, 2, and 3 in in its entirety, right? I'm just going to give you a little bit here. For the day of the Lord is at hand. I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, says the Lord. I will sweep away humans and animals. I will sweep away the birds of the air and the fish of the sea. I will make the wicked stumble. I will cut off humanity from the face of the earth, says the Lord. The day of the Lord is near. The day will be a day of wrath, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom. Their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. We could go on and on. That's Zephaniah 1, 2, and 3. This is not bedtime reading, folks. If you're looking for a feel-good picker-upper, stay away from Zephaniah 1, 2, and 3 because what God is proclaiming through this prophet is this is what happens. These are the consequences of people who turn their back on God when a relationship is separated. Darkness comes in and invades and everything falls apart. Devastation, destruction. I'd hate to be Zephaniah. I mean, nobody wants to hear that sermon, right? Nobody certainly wants to preach that sermon, but that was the sermon that God gave Zephaniah to preach to God's people. And after there's lots of doom and gloom and uh, all these horrible things are going to happen, if you don't turn back, God opens the door and says, it's not going to happen just yet. Oh, I know you can see the Assyrians out your window getting ready to pounce on Jerusalem. But he says, see the Lord. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land who do his commands. Seek righteousness. Seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the Lord's wrath. So the door is coming to a close, and it's just cracked. And God says there's a way out. There's a little bit of glimmer of hope. And all you need to do is humble yourself and repent. Humble yourself and repent. And we can restore this relationship. And God says, you know, I'll even take a handful of you Israelites. It's called the, the remnant of Israel. I'll even just take a few of you, any of you who humble yourself and repent. And we can restore this relationship. And then we get to Zephaniah 3, beginning with verse 14. This is what happens for those who repent and humble themselves. Sing, daughter Zion. Shout aloud, Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. On that day they will say to Jerusalem, do not fear Zion, do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord who is, uh, is with you, the mighty warrior who saves, he will take great delight in you. In his love he will no longer rebuke you, but God will rejoice over you with singing. And I will remove from you all who mourn over the loss of your appointed festivals, which is a burden and reproach for you. At that time, I will deal with all who oppressed you. I will rescue the lame. I will gather the exiles. I will give them praise and honor in every land where they have suffered shame. At that time, I will gather you. At that time, I will bring you home. I will give you honor and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your very eyes, says the Lord. Oftentimes, if you grew up the way I grew up, oftentimes we think that in the Old Testament, God was a God of judgment and wrath and anger. But in the New Testament, God was a God of love and forgiveness. Do you hear the love and forgiveness in this text? I mean, these people, all they have to do in order to be restored to God is humble themselves and repent. This is a text filled with grace. They don't have to do a single thing to earn favor with God. Just bow to their knee and say, God, I want to be in relationship with you again. It's a beautiful passage where God comes and offers them a new opportunity, a second chance. But here they are, and they're still waiting. Zephaniah is a book about God's people waiting. Zephaniah is a book about God's people who need to go through some fire, who need to go through some struggle, who need to go through some suffering. But on the other side, there is healing, there is hope, there is goodness, and there is grace. He says, I'm going to bring you home. I'm going to sing over you. I'm going to delight over you. It's this wonderful picture of a relationship that's restored. But it's not going to happen right away. Right now, they're in a season of waiting. I've shared with many of you that when I was a kid, I was a terrible athlete. Uh, It's it's the very reason why um, I spent the rest of my life running. I, I tried every sport out there. Um, But uh, interestingly enough, I guess this is God's sense of humor. uh, When Cindy and I had a couple kids, uh, our boys were uh, remarkable athletes. And so, uh, you know, I would spend a lot of time out at the ball field watching our kids do different uh, athletic events. And uh, one year when Logan was in third grade, uh, their baseball team did not have a baseball coach. And I know I've shared this story with some of you. Um, I didn't know much about baseball. Uh, I was certainly a horrible baseball player, but uh, I, I was a dad, right? And so I'm like, I'll be the dad coach, right? Um, the other guy, you can be like the uh, skilled coach, I'll just be the dad coach. And uh, Rick uh, was my co-coach guy, and uh, Rick was a better athlete than me, but um, Rick and I, were, we were really in this just to spend time with our boys and to have fun. And we decided, okay, if if we're not gonna win a lot of baseball games this year, we're at least gonna have more fun than all the other baseball teams out there. And looking back, I think we probably had more fun than all the other kids. But I remember the day that we were teaching these third grade boys how to slide into second base. And I was up to bat and uh, so Rick was out at the mound and he, and he, uh, he threw me a ball and somehow miraculously I hit the ball out into the right field. And once the ball flew out there, the kids are yelling and screaming, all these little third graders, right? And I run to first base. I was a pretty good runner until I run to first base, and I kind of came around first, and then I'm going towards second. And I am at full speed racing into second base. And as I'm racing into second base at full speed, I'm thinking in my head, I am going to make the biggest, most dramatic slide into second base. These third graders have ever seen that it's going to leave such an impression on their mind. Every single one of them is going to know how to slide in. Extraordinary uh, jump into second base. And as I came into second base and slid and slid and slid and slid, finally, and the kids are yelling and screaming and it was in that moment when the kind of dust cloud is still kind of up in the air I'm thinking to myself I hadn't fully thought this through because number one I was not wearing baseball pants I was wearing shorts (laughs) and number two the dirt around second base was more like gravel and I all of a sudden got this searing pain from my knee down to my ankle and I couldn't hardly get up. But I got up because all the kids are yelling and screaming. And it was really, really fun and really, really neat. And I didn't want to ruin the moment, right? I just wanted just to celebrate. But my leg was on fire. I mean, all the skin was gone. And there was just gravel sticking to my leg. And for the rest of baseball practice, I just gritted my teeth because I just thought this is going to be such an impression pressure moment. Don't do this when, you're, when Ellie gets older, OK? I just thought, oh, I want to make such an impression on these boys so they learn how to slide into second base. And I went home and I took a shower, but I got to tell you, when I got home to take a shower, I washed everything but my shin because it was on fire. I didn't want to touch it. So I kind of took a shower with my leg hanging out, you know, and all that good stuff. And I just, you know, went went that, that night, went to bed, woke up the next morning, and wow, my leg was really throbbing at this point in time. I'm like, huh. It'll probably get better, right? So I waited another day. And the next day, I'm looking down, and now I see pus oozing out of the uh, gravel in my leg. And I'm thinking, this is not going to get better, right? So what I did is I, of course, uh, soaked my leg in Epsom salt, which kind of hurt too, right? And then I took a towel, and I uh, scraped off all of the uh, gravel off my shin oh it hurt and then after I got all the gravel off the, the pus is still oozing out right so I got a nice layer of pus in there in my shin and so I'm scraping out the pus oh it was awful right but I knew that my shin was not gonna heal without going through some pain. Pain was necessary. And this is really the book of Zephaniah. Pain is a part of life. And we cannot experience healing unless we walk through the pain of life. To be human means that we're going to experience pain no matter how much we try and avoid it. So this morning, I want to close, after I've given you that great mental image, I want to give you three observations, three wonderings about your waiting as you're waiting for Christmas. Number one, expect the wait. Expect to go through seasons of pain expect to go through seasons of hardship and struggle I don't know what it is about our Western culture but we Americans think that we can somehow get through life. If we're good people that somehow we can get through life without having seasons of waiting, seasons of hardship and seasons of struggle. But the truth is every single human being that walks on this planet will experience pain and suffering and struggle. And here's what I know about you. You've either just come through a season of waiting of pain and struggle and hardship. You're in one right now and you don't see the way forward. And Merry Christmas. If you're not in either one of the first two, one's coming. Pain is coming. If you haven't experienced pain yet, it will come none of us gets out of this life without experiencing pain and hardship and struggle so stop with this idea of trying to avoid the pain just recognize that to be human uh, means that we are going to experience pain and suffering in life number two for christ followers seasons of waiting can be opportunities for growth Seasons for waiting can be opportunities for growth. I think God puts the pain and the struggle in our lives so that we can hear God more clearly, that we can become more dependent on him. Because if we don't have pain and struggle in our lives, we just try and do it all ourselves. Jesus' brother, James, he wrote, Consider it pure joy think we've got a slide for that. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. James says, this is just the way it is. And as a Christ follower, we ought to actually celebrate when we go through pain and hardship because that drives us, it connects us, it puts us on our knees to restore that relationship with God. And then I want another quote here from C.S. Lewis. This is how C.S. Lewis described it. He said, we can ignore even pleasure, but pain insists Upon being attended to God, whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks our in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. When we're experiencing pain, it's God in the megaphone saying, Hey, I'm here. And it's an opportunity to rouse us. From our sleepiness from our complacency from our self-centeredness God actually uses that pain and as Christians as Christ followers we ought to look at pain and say that might just be an opportunity for me to grow deeper in my relationship with God And the third observation or wondering about your waiting uh, for Christmas this morning is most of the time We don't know why. We don't know why we're going through a season of pain and hurt, and it just never ends. Sometimes people will say, well, why does God allow this? Why doesn't God answer my prayers? I mean, I've been waiting and waiting and waiting, and I'm hurting and struggling. Hello, God. You know what's going on in my life. Why does not God not answer my prayers? And I think Tim Keller uh, just absolutely nails this. This is what Tim Keller says about why God doesn't answer our prayers. He says, we can be sure our prayers are answered precisely in the way we would want them to be answered if we knew everything God knows. Just leave that up there a second, John. Think about that. If you knew everything about you and your future, maybe God is answering your prayers exactly what you need. We have a very limited view, a very limited understanding of our lives and all the circumstances before us. But if we knew everything God knew, We can be sure, we can have this confidence that God would answer our prayers exactly how we ourselves would do it as well. The best example I can think of this is, uh, uh, many of you have had children, uh, when your kids were little, you took them to the doctor to, to get vaccinations, right? And remember when you take your kids into the doctor to get their vaccinations? Um, you know, you've the, the, the doctor, the nurse comes in and, and oftentimes they're just a little itty bitty baby, right? And, and they, they pull out this needle that looks about this big, you know, and your, your little baby is just like, ah, you know, they're just so happy, you know, that mom or dad is holding them and it's a good day and everything, right? And what they don't know is about to come at them, right? And so they're so trusting and they're so loving and then the nurse or the doctor comes down and just jabs this big needle in their arm or their leg. And all of a sudden, this kid, just their eyes just well up. And they, get, they start shaking. And they just start Aah! And they're looking at you, screaming, going, how could you? Right? It just breaks your heart when your kids are screaming and yelling. How could you put that pain in my life? That hurts. And, and you're just going, I, I, I don't know. It was his idea, right? It just breaks your heart but see that child that baby does not understand what you understand is that vaccinations help prevent future pain and so you take the pain in the moment and it hurts and you don't understand it so that someday you don't get some other sickness or disease This is how God operates. He knows stuff about you. And you're like in that doctor's office, yelling and screaming, God, how could you allow this to happen? God says, I know. I'm sorry. But I'm trying to protect you and prevent worse things from happening. I want you to hear these words from Zephaniah for whatever season you're going through, for whatever pain, whatever struggle, that Jesus is with you, that he delights over you. He rejoices over you with singing, and he's preparing to bring you home. And when you're home, you won't be waiting anymore. Let us pray. God, I know there's a lot of people in a season of waiting in this room today. For all sorts of reasons, for all sorts of struggles, and all sorts of wondering. People crying out daily, God, do you hear me? Do you care? Do you know what's going on? The pain hurts. The brokenness stings. And there's darkness. And we wait, and we wait, and we wait, and we wait. And God, like the people who wrote scripture all the way through, we believe and we trust looking forward to that day when you will bring healing wholeness and restoration lord in your mercy you are our